might be on a, on a cellular device, a phone, an iPad, iPod, slide, type. Go to Matthew chapter 6. If you have a physical Bible, even better. You can't get any distractions on that puppy apart from the maps at the back. Go to the Bible, to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Before, as you're finding that, I want to read a quote from a man named John Wooden. Now, you may not be familiar with him as he's an American basketball coach, but he was famous for saying this. The true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. And you may be familiar with the quote, your character is who you are when no one's watching. So use the gender inclusive language, male, female, boy, girl, whatever. Our character is measured when no one is looking. And so uh, if we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, you'll see there, um, I think it's starting at chapter 5 though, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is preaching on a mountain, self-explanatory. People gather and he's preaching on a mountain and this is a part of that sermon. I think it's, I was reading this, it's like three chapters long. I'm like, man, and we can't even like, people can't even say focus on a message for like 30 minutes but Jesus did a big message and we're going to take some parts of that and so we're going to be looking at teaching about giving to the needy and teaching about prayer and fasting so are you ready Matthew chapter 6 verse 6 watch out don't do good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Teaching about prayer and fasting. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where, they can, where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. This is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Then we're going to skip the Lord's Prayer. That's Jesus giving us a pattern or a format on how to pray. Verse 16, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. When you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Kids in this place, when your parent wants you to have a shower and comb your hair and wash your face, maybe do some fasting to help them out to look, look presentable and not stink. Um, so yeah, uh, and that, so comb your hair, wash your face that no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows, every, uh, knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. I'm going to pray. Jesus, right now, speak to us. We thank you that your word is alive and it has what we need to be the best we can. And we just ultimately thank you for this COVID-19 restrictions to be eased, that we can meet together, uh, meet together physically again. And we just believe for greater flexibility in the future. And we all said, include me. Amen. So three things Jesus was not saying. Three things that Jesus did not say or did not mean in what we read. Number one, being generous is wrong. Number two, never pray in public. And three, don't fast. Three things Jesus did not say on the Sermon on the Mount or what he did not mean. Being generous is wrong. 
Never pray in public. Don't fast. So we're going to look at that. Number one, Jesus did not say being generous is wrong. Do not do good deeds. Jesus is not anti-charity. Jesus is not anti-generosity. Jesus is not anti-good deeds. So Jesus did say, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, this is an abstract illustration. It's not, we don't talk in our house going, hey, Pete, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's an abstract illustration. But I think if we use a bit of a a modern context, a modern illustration, we can understand this a little bit more. Does anybody here know what Instagram is? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all it's social media, right? I'm sure a lot of you would have a social media account. Let, now, reminding us of that, now Jesus is saying, when it comes to doing good deeds, be discreet, be sneaky, keep them private. It's, it's okay to be sneaky in doing good things. It's okay to try and not be noticed. That's kind of the challenge. It's kind of the fun of it. Often we can be sneaky to do the wrong thing. How can I sneak the cookie? How can I sneak the ice cream? How can I, if I just take that one lolly, lolly, no one will notice it's disappearing. But Jesus is actually saying, be sneaky in good deeds. Don't just be sneaky when it comes to the evil. Be sneaky when it comes to good. But so when it comes to then, we've, you've done a good deed. What Jesus is saying is, be generous. Be kind. Do good deeds, but don't post these activities on social media. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Keep it private. Proverbs um, chapter 27 verse 2 says, Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. What's Jesus saying? Let them post you on social media, not you post your good deeds on social media. If you bless that granny down the street, get her bin out every week, let her post your good deeds. Don't you post just helping the granny, street cred, whatever. You know, does people understand me here? So Jesus doesn't hate social media, but when we act like him for social media glory, that's dangerous territory. Jesus isn't anti-missionary trips. If you, want to, if you have the heart to go on a mission trip, do it. Go to it. But, but Jesus isn't for missionary tourists. That's not the purpose of a ministry trip. Oh, look at these poor, poor people. Look at this slum. It's like, and snap, snap. Oh, yeah, I'm helping this poor person. Ah, smile. No, he's saying go there to help them, not to put a post on your social media to look Christian, yeah? Um, Jesus isn't against soup kitchens and feeding the poor. He is against you going to the soup kitchen for street cred. If you're just doing that because it makes you look good and Christian, you've got the wrong motive. We want to be doing the right thing when no one would even know. Just because you do it publicly doesn't mean you're going to do it privately. And that's about our character. Jesus is interested in who I am and who you are in private. Jesus is interested in our character and our motive when no one is looking. And if you can do it in private, you would do it in public. And if the only time you do good deeds is the reward of human praise, how can I be spotted? How can I, how can I put the price tag in this caption so look how generous I was? Your good deed is a fruit of pride and wickedness. And if we want real faith, if we want real, the real touch from heaven, uh, that is birthed in the unseen. That is birthed in the private. And so Jesus is addressing motive and character. Jesus is, is more concerned on why you give than how you give. He's more interested in why we do it than how we do it. And so for all of us, we need a heavenly download. We need a, just like my iPhone gets updates regularly to, to have the new, the better. I need a supernatural software update. I need the, um, whatever it is, 3.0 to go, 
change my heart, Holy Spirit. Change my perspective. Change my mind because I don't want to live a life where I'm just doing things because, oh, that's what the Christian does. I want to do it because it's what God wants me to do. Thank you for that. Good preaching, Josh. Go. Um, <laughs> hey, can, honestly, you got voices? Why don't you encourage me? I, I, I've never seen someone encourage me with the, the pistols goal before, but hey, if I do something good, give me goals or something. Point two, Jesus did not say, Never pray in public. He did say don't pray publicly, but he didn't mean never pray in public. And so what is prayer? Does anyone have an idea of what prayer is? Prayer is us speaking to God, yes? And God speaking back to us. So it's not just God, give me. God, give me. God, I need. God, give me. No, it's saying God, this I speak to you, and now God speak back to me. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not just one way, it's two ways. Prayer is a pipeline, a direct pipeline from us to God where we can speak to him and he can speak back to us, right? So yeah, I encourage you, when you go to pray, don't just go, this is my list. God, 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 do, do, do. So God, I speak. Now, and leave time to listen to God reply. We don't need to pray to Mary. We don't need to pray to this and that. We need to go, God direct and God can speak back to us. So some verses about prayer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Let's pause. Jesus is, gum, is coming back. BRB. Jesus is coming back for his church. We've got to understand that. The, world, the end of the world is coming soon. So therefore, because Jesus is returning soon, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Philippians 4, 6, I'm sure you'd have heard this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. James 5, 16, this one just gets me excited. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That just fires me up. I, I, I come to prayer meetings at the church and sometimes I'm a little bit discouraged, have a bit of a bad attitude. I read that, James, I go, ooh, it gives me that little buzz of the Holy Ghost in you. And you go, you know what? I can lay my hands. Oh, wait, sorry, it's COVID-19. I can give a 1.5 distance, lay a hand, reach out, and people can get recovered. The power of God can touch them and heal them. And I want that in my life. I have a quote that I like to say, I'd rather ask and get a no than not ask and miss a yes. I'd rather pray and see God touch people, do a move in my school, in my workplace, whatever it is, I'd rather ask and get a no than not pray and miss a yes. Amen? And I want the power of God in my life. And that happens, I have that because I connect to God in prayer. And so we, we've just we read what we read before in, in, Matt, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it says, well, it says there, I can't pray in public because if people hear me, God won't. You could read it like that, but that's not what God is saying. Jesus did not say never pray in public. Again, Jesus was addressing your motive and your character. Jesus is more concerned in why you pray than how you pray. And so One Heart Church, we don't have prayer meetings to prove spiritual pedigree. We don't have a prayer meeting to go, who's a real Christian here? Oh, who really turns up? That's not why we do it. We don't go, oh, my prayer badge. Real Christian. No, that's not our attitude. We come to prayer meetings to seek God. We come to prayer meetings, as it says in James, the earnest prayer has wonderful results. We want wonderful results, we pray. Amen? I don't speak in tongues to be a level up. Oh, well, you don't speak in tongues, you must be a half Christian. No, no, I speak in tongues again because I need the power of God in my life. I know we, we sing this, that song from Elevation that... Um, I'm not enough unless you come. Would you meet me? I speak in the Holy Ghost. I pray in that heavenly language because I'm not enough unless Jesus comes. I'm not enough unless God gets a hold of my heart and gives me that supernatural update from heaven to live the life that he wants me to live. Yeah. Point three, 
Jesus did not say, don't fast. Okay, what's spiritual fasting? I don't know about you, but I've had, an op- I've had I don't know if it's a privilege, uh, I've had the experience, I would say, of having to have procedures at the doctors and you've had to fast before the procedure, right? Anyone been there with me? You don't have to be too honest. But that, that just sucks, right? It's like, there's, what, what's the point of like starving yourself for like medical reasons? I guess it's good, but spiritual fasting, there's, there's a joy, I guess, about it. It's still not easy, but there's a joy about it. And so I would, to describe fasting, you can pray and not fast, but you can't fast and not pray, right? People would agree with me. And then another one, it's even a bit more abstract, but I would describe fasting and tithing as similar. Now, physically, they're very different acts. They're not the same. But when it comes to what fasting is, tithing is, is similar. Let me explain. So tithing is, um, is when we, we give to God a 10% of our income. If we grow lemons, 10% of our lemons, whatever it is, or our sheep, because we're saying, God, you've, you gave us everything. All we have is because of you. So we're just returning back to you what is already yours. And it's a Lord issue. It, tithing isn't about a tax where you must give to the church. No, tithing is where you go, God, you're the Lord of my life. So why wouldn't I? Right? And so if you're in a position, there's no condemnation. But if you don't tithe, I would suggest Jesus is an accessory to your life, not the Lord of your life. If you have a, a struggle with tithing, it's a Lord issue than anything else. But with that, so tithing is an alignment thing. It's an alignment issue. We tithe to align ourselves to God being Lord, right? That's the purpose. Jesus, if you're my Lord, my tithing aligns me to that. Fasting is in the same way. Fasting is about alignment. It's about putting God first above all that our natural cravings. The thing that we desire the most in life is food. But when we put away that hunger for food, we go, God, we're aligning you to the Lord of my life for you to speak to me, for you to give me clarity. Does that make sense here? And so we, we fast to seek God, right? And so in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, 3 to 7, um, God challenges the Israelites about, about fasting. And, and so this is what it says. So the Israelites say, we have fasted before you, they say, why, are you, uh, why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why. I respond, God saying, it's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves in, with ashes. Uh, we do church fasting every year. I've never seen any of you put ashes on your head. You must be a few levels beneath. Um, you dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This kind of fasting is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains of the, uh, the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Now, this is where the Bible gets comedic. Give clothes to those who need them and don't hide from the relatives who need your help. Don't hide from relatives that need your help. So what Isaiah is saying here, that's what God was saying, is fasting isn't about your, uh, your appearance of going, look, I'm spiritual. I was at every prayer, fast, and church, like the, chair, the church prayer and fasting meetings. I was at every single one. 
Jesus is saying, no, no, fasting isn't about what you look like. It's about getting a download from heaven to be who I want you to be. Before you start sacrificing food, start showing love, right? And so fasting, the purpose of fasting isn't to look righteous. The purpose of fasting is to become righteous. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of fasting isn't to look righteous. The purpose of fasting is to be righteous. Amen? Amen. And so if Jesus is back into the Sermon on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is, I guess, is explaining a circumstance that we've just, if, if a, a pandemic hit your country, if a pandemic hit your globe, would your faith be evident? Or if the shutting down of church gatherings were to shut down, would you still have faith? If you weren't able to stand in the the corner of the building and pray really loudly, would your faith still exist? That's what Jesus is talking about, right? And so it's easy for us to attend a service on a Sunday. Oh, Jesus, you're so awesome. But then when it comes to Monday morning, Wednesday morning, would you seek God? Or is it just a, a, are you just winning Grammys on a Sunday? For me, I'm not interested in winning the best looking worshiper on a Sunday and then not know God on a Monday. I want to have a genuine faith that God, I seek God when no one else would look. I do the right thing when no one else would notice. And so that reminds me of a situation in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And so for those that are familiar, the book of Ephesians is um, written by the a man called Paul, to the church in Ephesus. And so he's preaching to the ch- uh, by letter to the church of Ephesus. And, he, and in, verse chapter, in chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, he's addressing slaves and their masters. And so verse 5 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Paul isn't condoning slavery. Paul isn't saying, therefore, Katie, you should have slaves and they should obey you. Paul is addressing your motive and your heart and your character. He says, I do what's right when they're not looking. He's saying, we have a choice. Do we do the right thing when no one is watching? He's talking about our motive and our heart issue, saying we sh- it doesn't matter what position we find ourselves in, we should be people that when no one's watching or when the master's there, we have the same attitude and we serve everyone like Jesus. I don't know about you, that's one of those Bible verses I want to rip out my Bible and go, I don't want to apply that one. When you're annoyed, when you're frustrated, no, no, no. Whether my master's here or not, whether my boss is here or not, I'm going to serve because it's the right thing to do. And so, yeah, you control your response and you can control your motive. And so, as we saw at the start of that quote, if our character is who we are when no one is watching, do we serve people like Christ when no one is watching? The true test of a person's character is what we do when no one is watching. And to me, I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 39 when Joseph lived that. For those that grew up in going to um, Sunday school, kids' church, whatever, we learn about this guy called Joseph. And he was a slave and he did what was right when no one was watching. When Potiphar's wife was sneaking up to him, I'm reminded of Youth Alive when uh, Pastor Chad Beach was like, oh, Jojo. And when Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce Joseph, oh, Jojo, come sleep with me, Jojo. The youth would remember that. Joseph did the right thing when no one was watching. He could have easily said, you know what, I'm going to come into temptation and yet I'll just please you because I'm a good looking lad, as the Bible said. But he goes, you know what, this is not right towards Potiphar, back away, 
I'm getting out of here. And you know what? This is a scary thing. I forgot to mention this in the 9 a.m. I forgot to say this, that sometimes when we do the right thing, it gets us in more trouble. That doesn't even make sense. He did the right thing and he got to jail for it. I don't want that. But you know what? That's what God's required. Are you prepared to do the right thing if it gets you in more in trouble? Ouch. Let's leave, that leads me to Daniel chapter 6. Um, and then, we, again, we see Daniel, Beth, oh, she was here in the morning service. She shared about this on the One Heart Facebook page. She, sh- she briefly shared about this. Now, in COVID-19, again, this is our first service back, we've had our public gatherings outlawed, wanted, Josh, attending service. No. But so we don't understand, we've had our service, our physical gatherings outlawed, right? But the question is, if the government was to go dictatorship and take it a step forward and go, you know what, having a Bible in your house is outlawed. You know what, having a prayer time in your life is outlawed. Would we, do we, and I, I often hear the quote, would there be enough evidence in your life to get you, like, imprisoned, convicted, right? Convicted, right? And so I think about this because in Daniel, that very thing happened. The law of the land was, if you pray to any other god but this stupid statue, you will be thrown into sleep with the lions, right? To be eaten by the lions. And, da- and Daniel had a private faith where he prayed at home. And he says, you know what? I did it when I was in private and I can do it in public. And it got him in with the lions. He had, a, he had the hotel lions experience and survived because God was with him. But are we prepared to do that? It's easy to be inspired by Joseph. It's easy to be inspired by Daniel. But when the rubber hits the road, do we have the kind of faith in private that in public we're happy to go to prison? We're happy to be executed because we followed God. And so... Um, I want to be a mature believer that lives that. Our church vision, you haven't heard it for three months because we haven't been here, but here we go. We are a large, relevant church of mature believers who love our community. Everyone remember that? Yep. And so what's a sign of being a mature believer? It's being like Joseph. It's being like Daniel. It's being the person who prays when no one is looking. It's a person who can fast when no one would even know. That's what maturity is. Now, I want another quote for you. Glenn Berto from the House Modesto in the United States says, Relevance is not how connected you are with culture. It's how connected you are with people's needs. So that being said, to be a relevant church and a church that loves our community, they're hand in hand. You can't really distinct them. We can't love our community but not be relevant to the needs of our community. We need to have them mixed together. We've got to have them working together. And so we are, uh, we are relevant when we love people that no one else would know. When you know the person next door to you is sick and unwell and the church doesn't know about that, that's when you're being most relevant to loving their needs. That's what a mature church does. If you see the person across the road and they, need, they have something wrong there, when you help them out and no one else would notice, that's what a mature church does. And I want to be that mature Christian. I want to be that mature believer that goes, you know what? I see the need, and I didn't need to wangle a selfie shot to get it in. No, I do it because it was the right thing to do. And so we're going to look now at the book of Mark, chapter 11, and the music team is going to join us. And we see the thing of Jesus and the fig tree. Jesus curses the fig tree. And it reads like this from verse 12. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. And so then uh, skip down to verse 20. The next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it and it had withered from the roots up. 
Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, meaning teacher, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Now, Jesus wasn't, uh, didn't curse a tree simply because he was angry and hungry. He was hungry. He didn't curse it because of that. He cursed it as a prophetic sign and a metaphor. So Jesus was judging the hypocritical worship at the temple which lacked fruit. Now let's break this down a little bit. So Jesus sees a tree full of fruit. Publicly, it looked healthy. Publicly, it had all what was going on. But then Jesus took a closer look at it. There's no substance there. There's nothing of worth to be found. Then Jesus goes to the temple, the place where it should have worship, the place where it should be righteous, the place where it should be spiritual. He goes again from the from the outlook. People are raising their hands. People are giving their offerings. But then you take a closer look the fruit's not there. It's out of prideful ambition. It's out of, how does this make me look more holy? How does this make me look more spiritual? Their heart wasn't to honour God. Their heart was the praise of people. And then the question that comes to us then is, do we have that public appearance? Do we Are we the fig tree that, yeah, we look Christian. Oh, I have, I have the Bible up on my phone. How Christian am I? Oh, I have it on the bottom tab. Oh, I, I can come to church and raise my hands. But then if Jesus takes a closer look, if Jesus moves past the appearance of Christianity and actually looks in my heart, is there fruit there? Is there something of substance and power? Because I don't want to be that believer that just can rock up the church and win a Grammy for great worship. I want to be in the presence of God for God to change me, to give me some substance, to give me some power that actually influences me when I leave this room. Amen? Amen. And so I don't, don't want to just be this cookie cutter Christian. Oh, yep, by title. I want the power of God in my life changing me to be all that He's called me to be. Jesus isn't interested in a church that looks spiritual. Jesus wants a church that is full of the power of God, who do things when no one would ever know. In closing, the book of Acts chapter 6. This is just one of my, my favourite passages of the Bible. Now Peter, interesting there. Now Peter, the same bloke that saw this prophetic sign from the fig tree, I would believe that he has applied that principle to his life. God isn't interested in me just rocking up to an event to be spiritual. God actually wants me to have some power, some substance that actually sees miracles take place in my life. He, Peter lived the life of real Christianity when, when the public gathering is cancelled. His faith isn't dead. It is live and powerful and he can seek God. And so it says this, now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth, who was carried three, uh, carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked them, Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. Now we're going to go to the New King James Version because it's from memory. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7, back to the NLT. Then Peter looked to the lame man, uh, sorry, yeah, took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And he did, uh, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. I want to just take note there of that verse 6. What silver and gold I don't I do not have, but what I do have I give you. The title at the end of the message for the message is What Do You Have? Church, what do we have? I 
And it's a bit of an abstract statement because what does he have? But Peter and John had the power of God in their life. They had substance. They weren't just turning up to a service to look spiritual at the hour of prayer. They actually had something inside of them that saw a breakthrough, that saw a revolution take place in the layman in front of them. And so church, what do we have? If, if, if COVID-19 restrictions, I, I pray against that, but if we were to, have to go away from public services again, this last, our last three months of isolation, have we had a private faith? Or when this service was shut down, did that, did that kill our faith? Because we want to be people that have the power of God that when we come to church, we can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. When we're down the street, we have something of power and substance that sees miracles take place. And each person in this building, each person on this stage, all of us, we should be people that have substance, that we have uh, what I have, I give you. Peter said, I don't have silver and gold. Peter wasn't interested in just going, you know what, here's, here's some money, selfie, like I gave. No, no. He said, I've got something better for you. We're not just going to feed you for a day. We're going to give you something to change your life, to set it on track to what God wants. And that's the same thing for us. We don't live a Christian life to do good deeds, to just please someone. Yes, that's why we do it. But ultimately, they need God. They need a revolution, not just a physical change. Yes, we believe for that. But they need a spiritual revolution from being spiritually lame to go, you know what? We're going to come pick you up because there's substance on the inside of me. I come to church, I worship to get some substance inside of me that when I go out, the people in my world are changed. No longer spiritually lame, but spiritually alive and walking. Amen, amen.